does this even affect your life? So we got tons of these. So if you're into note-taking, we have these, and uh, they'll be on your table. Cool? All right. I think that's it. How about we pray? Man, let's get the show on the road. Father God, we just come before you, and Lord, we just uh, expect you, Lord, in our study. We expect you to open our eyes to your word for your truth. God, that we're not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, we're not ashamed of the power and the, the movement, God, of your spirit. And so we just ask that you join us here now and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, tonight we conclude uh, the Jesus Projects, and this is Jesus as a lover. Uh, we went through all the different weeks, and we talked about Jesus as a warrior and, and all these really cool things. They even brought a sword here for our uh, assistance here tonight. But this is the final one. This is Jesus as a lover. And one of the first things on the outset is that I think that for us to talk about this is a little bit unique because my personal opinion is that the word love is the most overused word by far, right? I love Taco Bell. I love Big Wheels. I love coffee. I, I love everything. Like, I, I fall in love and out of love every day with something new. It's unbelievable. Uh, I love Dave's roof. He has a flat roof, and there's going to be a zip line and a trampoline from it. I, like, I love random things. And so for me, and I don't know about you, is that the word love is just, it, it's lost all of its meaning. If I hold up a sign that says love, it doesn't do much. But as soon as we attach like, I love you, or Jesus loves me, or God loves, as soon as we attach something to love, as soon as we bring it context, it suddenly means the difference in the world. It takes something that we totally use and, and take for granted into something that's meaningful and I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed that I use the word love so much because that's the strongest word we have in the English language for our relationship with God, is that Jesus loved us and died for us. That we love Jesus. So it kind of, it bums me out that that's the strongest word that we have. And uh, what, what's also frustrating is that I, I feel that sometimes we use love as a cop-out for a relationship with Jesus. Wherever we're at, we, we kind of fall upon this vague, like, oh, I just, I need to focus on God's love as my issue. I think it's such a cop-out, because it's such an easy way for us to really kind of turn our attention from what maybe God's really asking us to do. As we have this, this general thing, it kind of sounds like really Christianese, makes it sound like we're, you know, really holy. We say, oh, I just need to focus on God's love. And I, I, would, I would argue that a lot of us here, and I put my, myself in this camp included, is that maybe we don't really know what God's love is. Maybe we use that word and we really mean well, but maybe we have not really gone into areas where we've really seen what it means to experience God's love. I know I lived a lot of my life kind of wandering and poking in this, this God love thing was so vague. And I'm here to say that, one, that we've completely devalued that word in our culture, in our society. In my vernacular and probably yours, that word has, has lost a lot of meaning. And so I want to redeem that word here tonight and bring some context to that. Uh, first off is that love, as one of my buddies over here, Gerald, he said that, that love needs to, I need to be told I, I'm loved, but I need some action. I need some teeth to that. I need some movement from that. I need, to, I need to, to know where the rubber meets the road with this. And I couldn't agree more. Is that love needs to be communicated, needs to be demonstrated, and needs to be experienced. Just to have this vague thing about love doesn't mean anything until it's actually put to actions. Love requires demonstration, experience, communication, for it to have any significance at all. I told you about my wife's uh, present to me. Now, how bummed would I have been if I would have woke up that morning and I'm like, you know, 
been married, got my wife, it's like, it's my birthday. So you kind of expect, like, some demonstrations of love. And what if she said, today, sweetie, I just want you to focus on my love. I'd be so bummed. It's like, what? That's all you got? You just want me to focus on your love? Come on. I think that's what we do with God. Is that we, we take God's love for granted. We just kind of say, oh, I'll just focus on it. Or maybe, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe God's interested in how you love him. And you're asking him, just, to th- just think about my love for you, God. Just, that's all. Just trust me, it's there. How much of a bummer would our romantic relationships be if love was just a based on a feeling or just based on knowing that it exists? What if in my marriage, if instead of building a relationship with my wife, what if I bought a huge encyclopedia about everything that you know about women? It probably actually would be a lot huger than that. But what if I did that and I said, okay, I'm going to know love with my wife, not through getting to know her, but to learn about her. I learned some facts and I learned some details. And all right, I know this. And I know every 28 days something happens here, you know, or whatever that is. <laughs> you know, what if that was the way that I invested myself into what a love relationship is. We wouldn't be married for a day. It doesn't work that way. But I'm going to venture out and say that maybe a lot of us think that's how we love Jesus. Say, oh, if I just, if I really read a lot of chapters, if I really, you know, read the Bible, if I go to church really often, maybe that is my love for Christ and for Jesus. I'm saying that I'm not not trying to point fingers. I'm just saying that, man, there's so much more there. There's so much behind Jesus as a lover. It's not about what he said. It's not about the rules. It's not about obedience. It's about experiencing Jesus. But here's our issue is that Jesus died, what, 2,000 years ago? So how on earth do we have this relationship with Jesus? It says in the Bible that we are made in his image. We need to know that, that Jesus experiences love just like we do. Why would we think any differently? Why do we think that maybe God doesn't notice this or maybe we can sneak by it? It's different. The same exact things that we feel and the same exact things we interpret love with are the very same things that God experiences. I wonder if God has hurt feelings at the way that maybe we ignore him, we minimize that love with him. My wife would be so bummed if I completely thought that if I just knew facts about her, that that was loving her. How bum would she be? So I'm here to tell you that Jesus' love in of itself is not enough. It's not enough. Having the knowledge of this is not going to cut it. Love without demonstration is meaningless. Love without demonstration is absolutely meaningless. It's like saying, yeah, my boyfriend beats me, but I know he really loves me somewhere in there. It doesn't matter. Love without demonstration is meaningless. And the only way here to experience Jesus' love is through the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to talk for a little bit tonight. God bless you. The Holy Spirit is the only way in which we can tangibly experience the love of Jesus. Right? Because he died. The physical person is long gone. And we know all these facts and all these different things about him, but until we build a relationship, remember, Jesus has the same exact relationship as we receive it. So until we start to build our lives in a mechanism that loves Jesus as if it was loving someone here in the flesh, we're going to keep running into walls. And so that's why the Holy Spirit is critically important. I'm tired of learning about love, to be honest. I wasn't that excited about this one until it kind of hit me that this is not about knowing more about God's love. We all hear the love thing enough, right? 
the world needs now is love. You know, like we're tired of it. It's time to experience it. I'm tired of having all these Christians have all the knowledge, but none of the power. And the power is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The power is where the relationship with Jesus comes in. The power is where we tangibly experience the love of Jesus. The Jesus Projects, the lover, is all about understanding the Holy Spirit. It's all about that. So if you have your Bible, pick it up. We're going to chain or turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to say this real quick, and I'll, I'll say it again later, is that there are three different applications of the Holy Spirit. All right? So the first one is that the Bible promises, Jesus said that if, when we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that we are saved. And when we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. All right? So each one of us, if we've confessed with our mouth, if we are a Christian, if we've given our life to Christ and asked for forgiveness, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Right? So that's phase number one. It's a promise. It's in there. Sweet. Okay? Number two is the Holy Spirit is also a guiding force that comes alongside of us. Right? So there's, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's cool. It's always there. And then we have the Holy Spirit partnering with us, guiding alongside us through life. The third is the Holy Spirit coming upon us in radical moments where we desperately need, where the Holy Spirit totally radically intervenes, physics goes out the window, and something awesome happens. So those are the three different applications of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we'll find here, is the only means for demonstration, experience, expression, and communication with Jesus. That's the only way it happens. Cool? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Where am I here? <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It's referring to about 120 people. Not too many more than we have here. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in each other's languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, pause right here. This has always bothered me. Can I rant for one quick second? 
is that Peter's in here, and the, the move of God is just completely just devoured the place, right? All sorts of crazy things. And people start saying, oh, they must be drunk. And what does he say? He doesn't appeal to their character. And like, these are men of God. He's like, it's only nine in the morning, you know? Like, I, it's like, I'm surprised that he didn't say, come back in three hours and maybe they will be drunk. I just, it bothers me. He doesn't appeal to the moral character that these men have. But amazing things were going on, right? Weird things were going on. Tongues of fire sitting on people? I mean, so, it says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billows of smoke. This is now referring to the second coming. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this illustration here, this is really, really important. This should be the normal behavior of the church as weird and crazy and wacky as it sounds, is that this is normal for the church. I mean, don't be weirded out. It's weird, right? But it, who, who's it weird to? Is it weird to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's God. God's ways are higher than our ways, right? God is supernatural. We are of the natural. How do we know? Is it weird? Or is it God? I think maybe a lot of times, maybe we hold ourselves back because we don't want to be weird. You don't want to be that guy, you know? I, I've always had a fear, like, oh, I was like, I, I totally reserved my relationship with God because I didn't want to be that guy, you know? And it had nothing to do about the Holy Spirit, but it had everything to do about, I didn't want to become irrelevant. I didn't want to be the guy that had, you know, suspenders and pants up to here and the pocket protector and the Bible, you know, he always carried around and the two big Coke bottle glasses he always wore. I'm sorry, it's like mean, but I was like, I don't want to be that guy. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be that guy. Totally prideful. Has nothing to do about that. Has everything to do about who God is in my heart. And so for a while, I totally kind of limited. I didn't want to get too saved, you know. I just want to be saved enough to where, like, at least I have some fire insurance. But I think that's maybe where some of us are. Is like, we don't want to... We don't want to see tongues of fire on our heads. That's weird, you know? But I'm at a point in my life now where I want it all. John 10.10 says that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I want to know what that more abundantly is. Can I get an amen from Dave? Yes. I want to know the top of the top. I want to finish this life, and I want to know, like, Jesus is like, you got it. That was the abundant life. And the Greek there is epikados, which means epic. No, I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that be sweet? No, I want, this is why we call it the epic life, is I want this community to be on a journey of the epic life. That abundant life, that John 10.10, the maximum of the maximum. If we're going to go after that, then we need to look at what Jesus and the Holy Spirit laid forward as saying, like, this is, if you're going full throttle, if you're going the abundant epic life, this are some of the things that happens. Men will have visions, old men will dream dreams, people will prophesy, people will get healed. That's what it's about. But it requires us to say, okay, 
I don't have to acknowledge, you know, that I feel a little weird about this. I just need to trust that it's God because his ways are higher than my ways. If we think it's strange, then maybe we're strange. And by the way, that day when this happened, 3,000 people got saved. I mean, talk about this is the early church. There's only 120 Christians at this point, and then 3,000 at the end of this passage. That was the move of God. I mean, when that happens, you, you can't argue with that. I want that. Flip back one chapter to Acts chapter 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was sitting eating with them, he gave them this command. Command is a strong word here. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's something really, really important here. So Jesus is resurrected, right? You have all the apostles, disciples, all these people, and Jesus is sitting here and like, I'm alive, yeah, yeah, cool. And what they want to do is they want to go and run out and tell everybody that Jesus is alive. And what does he say? He says, don't. He says, stay here. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go to the ends of the earth. Don't go make disciples. Don't, don't, no, 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 no. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come. Do you understand the, the significance of that? Because back in, you know, the Holy Spirit came after Jesus left. And so this is a little transition period of time where Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Stay here. Just wait. It's coming. I think that's so cool. He said, don't go out and do ministry. Don't go out and do Christian things. Stay here until you receive the power. And the power to what? The power to witness in our communities, in our towns and villages, and to the ends of the earth. Because you won't be able to do that on your own. You, won't, you don't have the tools. You don't have the mechanism. You won't be able to save 3,000 people in one day until I bring you that power. I wonder what that means for us. I wonder what that means for our community. I wonder if that we're in a period where we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come here into each one of our lives before he takes us to the ends of the earth. I look at periods of our time where we feel like we're stuck in neutral, I wonder if that's God's mechanism to kind of say, hey, there's something here. I want you to stay here until you have the power before I bring the next thing to you. With great responsibility comes great power. Right? If we're not prepared to hold that power, then how can we expect it for God to give it to us? We come in this place, we come to be filled by the Holy Spirit, we come to be equipped here 
Maybe God is saying, don't leave Epic Life until you have the power. Don't leave Sacramento until you have the power. Don't leave this place of your life until you have the power. When we're walking in the Spirit, continually being filled by the Spirit and asking every day for His filling, that's the thing is that the word they use for for baptizing the Holy Spirit, it's not this one-time thing. It's a continual thing. It means that we need to come back. We need to continually be baptized in in the Spirit. We need to continually be filled up and be equipped and receive that power. It's not a a one-time and all of a sudden you're this, you know, moving animal that has all this power. It's It's that God gives it to us when we go and seek it and receive it. The outflow of your life when this happens will testify that you have been with Jesus. The testament when we fill ourselves every day and ask God, fill me with your spirit, fill me, have your power dwell within me, the aroma is that we've been with Jesus. And we're just having coffee with him. It begins to change our language. It begins to change the way we think. It begins to change the ideas and ultimately our destiny going forward. We have that encounter. We have that experience. We now move forward in a totally different way. Remember I told you that the different purposes of the Holy Spirit, that every single Christian will have the Spirit within you. Out of the get-go. And the second one, this is what we're focused on tonight, is the role of the Holy Spirit to come alongside you. To come alongside us. This is where we miss it all. I think a lot of us, we get saved, we're like, cool, done, check. On to the next thing. When Jesus is saying, hey, there's a lot more. This has just begun. In fact, I'm going to send someone alongside you that will communicate you, will begin to shepherd you, will begin to love you as you go along. Let me get Chad up here real quick. So we're, God would send the Holy Spirit, and he would be next to you like this. Now, Sean, where's Sean at? I'm going to steal something that you told me earlier this week. So he's telling me, about, like, when he's younger. By the way, he's sharing his testimony tomorrow night at Brigade. Should be there. But he's telling me that when he was younger, that his dad would walk with him and put a hand on the back of his neck. And they would walk. And so as they walk, he just would move alongside him. And wherever I move, I'm just gently holding my hand here, but wherever I move, now Chad is moving. Thanks, buddy. But I think a lot of us, what we do is we, we kind of do this. You know, get off me, Dad, you know. Ew, you know, we do that. But that is the time, I would argue that probably the most intimate times that Sean had with his dad is when his dad grabs him and they begin to walk and they begin to talk. It's like, Dad, here's what's going on. And he's got you and he walks by you. It's not a forceful behind you. It's a with you. And that is where the chemistry of the father-son relationship comes from. It comes from interacting and communicating and guiding. Romans 12.1 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The key thing here, after this, so that you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is for your life. So that you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is for your life. Is that you'd be transformed by your mind, not by what the, wa- what the world wants you to do. That is that transformation. That is the Holy Spirit coming beside us. Ephesians 4.22 says, Take off the old man and take on the new man. This is that second stage of the Holy Spirit where we say, okay, I choose to walk with you, God, every day, side by side. I want to know what it is to be in communion with you. I want to know what it is to be in your presence. I want to read about you. I want to know you. I have a mentor, and he, he, he beats me to a bloody pulp about, go into the Word. Don't, who cares about the chapter? 
Look at that one verse and find out where God is in that one verse and where it applies to your life. What in your life right now does this have to do with? We need to seek and have the Holy Spirit come and govern the way that we live our lives to transform the way we think. It's not about rules. It's not about do this or don't do this. It's about being side by side with him and seeking him. Because in those times, that is when we experience God's love. That's when we hear from him. That's when we know that we're loved. Right? You need to have someone tell you that they love you, but also walk beside you and prove that they love you. How can we expect God to do that when we're not walking side by side with him? We're asking him from the peanut gallery, hey, throw something down here out of my way. When we need to be walking side by side with God, the only way that can happen is when we ask for the Holy Spirit to come fill us every single day. Without that, you will never tangibly be able to taste and experience the love of God. You won't. Because the love of God is only channeled by that interaction, by that fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So if you are here tonight, and we were like, I don't know what God's love is. Maybe this is the missing component. Maybe that we'd re- pray with us as a, as a body and a community and say, God, would you move your Holy Spirit over us? That the Father wants to give us every good thing that we desire. And so we say, man, I'm not, I'm not getting this. Here's one thing. When you come into to divine communion and love with Jesus, it's amazing. When I was dating my wife, that first night where I met her and danced through all that good stuff, and I came back, don't get the wrong idea, when I came back, I was totally transformed. As Stephanie would say, you guys remember like Bambi, like the, the bunnies, like they refer- referenced being in love as being Twitter-pated, you know? I was totally Twitter-pated. It's like, oh my gosh, what was that, you know? And so forever from then on, my entire DNA, I believe, has changed. That I was never the same after I encountered her. That every thought that I had was revolving around, wow, this woman, this, I, I got to... I got to figure this out. This is huge. My actions, my, my heart, my attention, the things that would keep me up late at night, the things that would get me up early in the morning had to do with like knowing this girl. I felt this connection with her. It's like, man, God, you, what are you doing here? What are you doing to me? And I feel like the fabric of my existence changed when I encountered my wife. It was an eternal change. And that's how I have the life I have now is that I work late hours sometimes in the office. Why? Not because of mine, because I want to pursue and, and provide the best for my wife. My entire fabric of my existence has revolved around being the best husband that I can be for my wife. That is what happens when we encounter the living God, is we become, we become Twitter-pated for God. And we begin to think differently, that the things that we would want to go and channel surf to, the, the channels that we know exist, we would we'd shy away from. We don't want that anymore. When I was pursuing my wife, I didn't want the things I wanted before. I didn't care about surfing. I didn't care about, like, I just want to be with her. And that is when we encounter the Holy Spirit as God begins to change our DNA, our fabric, and we begin to crave the Him. It's not about not doing this. It's that God begins to exchange your desires for the former things. And He begins to replace it with the desires to be close with Him and to know Him and to speak with Him and to have Him speak to you. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and enters your life. It totally rewires you. But we know that there's different phases. We know that the Holy Spirit's in us. It just is a matter of whether we want to invoke that power. It's totally up to us. He wants that communion with us more than we want it. So how, when we ask, how much would we expect that he wouldn't give us? Of course he's not going to give it us. He's going to generously just like lavish us with this if we ask him to send it, if we ask him to do that. 
and takes a genuine heart and really wanting that. And part of that says, God, deal with the fears about the weird stuff. I just want you. I don't care if it's weird. I just want you. When God is in the supernatural, why do we try and put God in this natural box? When he really wants to move, when he says, I move this way, this is what's normal, that I would do things before your eyes that you would never believe. But why do we confine him and say, okay, here's the rules for how that's going to happen? Why would he waste his time? And then God wants us to come with him and have a heart that says, I want it all. I want to, however it is, I don't care. I just, I want it all. Whatever you have for me, I want it. We see the example. I want to challenge you. How does God know that you love him? We got to talk selfishly about ourselves. How does someone know that, or how do I know that someone loves me? I once had some friends, they brought me Taco Bell. I, I felt so loved. <laughs> I was like, it's got extra red sauce and no onions. I mean, how much better can it get? I mean, that's me. I got buddies laughing here at me. But it, it's like, how does God know that you love him? Remember that Jesus experiences love the same way we do? I had the, the, the fortunate privilege to, to be part of Chad and Sandy's Young Married Group, and some of the things we'd talk about is, is love languages. I think love languages still apply with Jesus. Right? How about words of affirmation? What's words of affirmation with you? Chad, you are just so handsome. You know, whatever. And that's praise and worship when we sit here and we say, my creator, my savior, my redeemer. That's who you are. That is words of affirmation. That is a love language to God. And he's just, he loves it. His heart sings. The Bible says that God dances over us with the very thought of us. Words of affirmation. Sing and praise. I want us to be able to enter into music time when we do that and not be reserved, not be that weird person. Oh, they're raising their hands. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I got to go. This is too weird. You know, like we've all been there. I get it. But I'm saying that if God wants us to bring this community together, remember, this entire book, that's 120 people at Pentecost. Changed the entire world. There's not too many more than that in here. That God would start here with maybe 80, 100 people, and he would change the fabric of our lives, but also every other life that we encounter. That starts with things like this. We need to study what are the love languages of God. We, we study about our wife, but we're totally missing it. It's like, man, when I do both, I mean, the, the, the two are interconnected, but when I really pursue, what does it mean to love God? How does he know that I love him? It really bothers me. So words of affirmation is the first. Second is acts of service. That we would do something in God's name, that we would be out of ourselves. Remember the, the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. Acts of service. Are we too busy we can't go out of our way for somebody? To do something for someone? Are we that important? I mean, what, what's... What, what service are you? Who are you serving? Like, what are you doing with the giftings that God's given you? God's given you passions, giftedness, interests, all those things, right? What are you doing with those in the kingdom? How is someone being better by your giftings? God's given the giftings for you, not for your, you know, big triumphant boasting, but to encourage someone else's life. Someone else's life will be better because of your giftings. Service. How are we using our, our giftings? Affection and touch. That's that physical interaction. Jesus said, 
when you give and, and do to the least of these, you do to me. That we would actually be encountering people and serving them and touching and interacting, showing attention, showing focus. And Jesus says, when you do the least of them, you do for me. That Jesus is there. You are serving Jesus. You are touching, you are interacting, you are showing affection to Jesus when you serve the least of them. I, I, it burdens my heart when I see, you know, I, I was in a really nice college and school, and it always hurt me to see those who were the least in school. You know, those who weren't as cool, they couldn't have the clothes, they didn't have the car. They're kind of the, the people that didn't get as much attention, and so it always pained me, and so I wish I would have spent more time with those people because I think I would have encountered more time with Jesus in that. Gifts. I am, I'm, a, I'm a big gift giver, my wife will testify. I love giving gifts. I don't like to receive them as much, but I love giving them. Like, I feel like that is one of my love languages. Is I want to do something huge and sweet and, you know, gargantuan. I, like, I, that's just what I want to do. What is that for us with God? I think the first thing, Romans 12.1, says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. The sacrifice, you are, you are then taking your body and you are giving your body as a gift to God to say, whatever you do, use me as a vessel. That's first and foremost the thing that we offer God. That's the first gift that we give God is our bodies, our existence as a living sacrifice. That's the number one gift that you can give God. If you do anything else, is that you would consecrate your body to God and say, whatever your will be done, it shall be in my body. That is the greatest gift you can give. We also have things about honoring God with our finances and offerings. There's envelopes on the table. No, I'm just kidding. But, but that's part of it, is that there's more verses about money in the Bible than anything else. Why? Is it because God really is that concerned about money? No. He knows that we're really concerned about money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And so tithing is a, it's a spiritual discipline of maintaining that distance between your heart and money. And last is quality time. How good would my marriage be if I just said hi and bye, you know, to my wife? Maybe I just talked to her at dinner, and that, and that was it, right? I mean, no, no, like the only prayers we ever get with God is like, God, thank you for the food. Amen. Right? And that's like what most, I think, Christians, as we look at a, a whole, is that maybe the only prayer time we actually spend happens to be the same monotonous prayer that we say over and over and over again for our food. My uh, family, we always would pray over the meals, but we'd always laugh because we had it memorized. And about for 20 years, I memorized it wrong. Like my dad would say, blessed to our body's use. And I always thought he said, blessed to our body's juice. And I always thought, oh, that's so funny. Body's juice. You know, but that, he did it every way the same every single time. And it was fine, I get it, but I realized that a lot of our Christian walks sometimes are compartmentalized in times where we have a meal. Or wait, someone's watching, maybe I should pray, you know. Some of that where I think quality time, what is the quality time that you spend with God? One of the, the, the most transformational times in my life is when I laminated scripture verses and I pasted them on my surfboard. And I went out in the water because, you know, you're out surfing, it's not like there's waves every second. There'd be times where there'd be 20 minutes that would go by and there's nothing. And so I'd sit there and I'd read his word and I just would think. I'm like, I'm in creation. There's all this beautiful, you know, creation around me. Man, God, you're here. Like, I want to read. And so, like, looking at who you are, like, God can go wherever you are. You don't need to, 
you know, dress in a whole robe and shave your head and, you know, come with some incense. I mean, that's not quality time for God. Like, God wants it to be quality time for you. You know, God made you. He knows everything about you. So the things that you're interested in, passionate about, he wants to join with you there. Do you invite him is the issue. Is Jesus invited to the party, wherever you're at? Is he invited into your mornings? I have my morning routines, and so God's been impressing on me the things that he would have for me as far as quality time, and I want to give it. I need to treat my time with God like I would with my wife. And those of you know, I'm guarded with my time with my wife. It's like I'm in the habit of saying yes to everything, and if I keep on doing that, I'll have a marriage where I have an encyclopedia of knowledge and have no relationship. It's the same for everything. Everything clamors at your attention. So as the band comes up and we close out, I want to impress on you guys that the whole thing, Jesus as a lover, it, it all comes back into having the Holy Spirit join and come alongside us in our walk. That happens when we express these love languages to God. That ask and we ask and we, we seek a new feeling every single day. God, fill me today. Would you do that? God, give me new power today. The breakthroughs and the, the progress of some of the individuals I know in this room are so amazing. And it comes at a daily petition. It's like, God, do something in me. Create in me the power that you promised. And he's doing it. But it comes along to where we don't sit back and we just want to receive, receive, receive from God. It's time for us to move forward and we move to God. James 4.8 says, if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. And so I want to be a group in which we focus on how can we get closer to Jesus? How can we transform our minds, our lives, to where we seek him? It's not about saying no to other things. It's just we just choose God. We choose him above all else. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes besides us. When we choose him, that's when the Holy Spirit comes by. And that's when we begin to experience the love and the depths and the power that we're supposed to. We've had the example of, of what it's supposed to be like. We're supposed to have God-ordained visions. We're supposed to be prophesying. We're supposed to have words of knowledge. We're supposed to have all these things. A lot of things in which we think are weird. But God says, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. If I'm a supernatural God, how do you not expect me to do supernatural things? How do you provide, how do you expect me to provide you that supernatural job if you don't believe me to do that supernatural healing? What's the difference? The value in which we hold them. So that's all I got tonight. I just want to encourage you guys that 120 people, when they all came together in one room with one mind, with one accord, they changed the world. It doesn't take much. God wants our hearts. God wants us to know that we want him around. God's not impressed by our tithes, our offerings, our scripture memorization. He's not impressed by anything. He's not impressed with our Bible covers. He just, he wants our hearts more than anything. But we need to operate in the realms in which it's a real relationship. It's not a trick. It's not manipulating the system. It's about really engaging in real relationship. And we see when we put in, we receive back. Let's all stand. So God, as we close out tonight, Lord, I just, I pray that you'd bring a fresh fire, a fresh wind to this place. Lord, that you would mold and shape our hearts, Lord, not to expect to be loved by you, but Lord, that we'd be peoples who love you. 
Lord, it wouldn't be about us receiving, but God, that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. We'd offer up our praises, our existence, our hearts to you, Lord. That's what it's all about, Lord. We want to experience your love. God, we want to experience, God, the highest of the highs. And so, Lord, if there's anything in us that is saying, don't go there, if there's anything in us that says, don't do that, there's any fears of what people would think or say or do, Lord, we just pray that you would embolden us. God, that the kingdom of God is advancing, is advancing forcefully and violent men lay hold of it, that we'd be advancers of the kingdom. We wouldn't be bystanders, but we'd be advancing, God, with you, that we'd take the steps forward, Lord, that we'd run to you and that you would meet us. So do that now, Lord. We offer ourselves to you. Lord, mold our hearts as we sing this last song. Lord, we pray it just would be a declaration. God, that your presence would rain down here. God, that your presence would rain down in our lives, Lord. And where the Holy Spirit rains down, Lord, life births up. God, that the, the broken, God, the rejected, the depressed, Lord, let your rain fall down. Lord, your spirit fall over us and let life spring up. Life more abundantly, Lord. That's what we want. That's what we're here for, Lord. That's what you promise. And so, God, we call you out for your promise. Whatever we need to do here, Lord, let us not leave this room until we have the power. Let us not leave until we experience you, Lord.